Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, is the co-host. It's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment. And I know I said entertainment. We had to do a little schedule shuffling this week. So the sports show will be coming out if you're listening to this on Wednesday. But Tuesday, we're doing the entertainment where we talk movies, TV, comics, and more. And, man, we have a lot to discuss. This so I know a lot of people are expecting the sports show right now. But uh, rumor has it Coach Duffy is down in New York trying out for every position possible uh, for the New York Giants. Yes. Uh, Coach Duffy has said, I'm either making the Giants or the Knicks before I come back to the next show. I haven't figured out which one I'm trying yet. Uh, better odds on the Knicks, I would say. I would say probably, too. Just wondering if his jump shot's working. But we'll have to discuss that on the next show. But this one, you know what we're talking about. We are talking movies, TVs, comics, and more. Hit us up on our social media accounts. You can find them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Join in the conversation because we definitely want to interact with you. And always remember to throw in the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. So let's kick it off with arguably the biggest entertainment story of the week. Dare I say, since the jump of Disney+. Plus, mm-hmm. Everybody's been talking about this show. Yep. If you haven't been able to see it yet, I am very, very sorry. Yeah, especially since, you know, there's the big spoiler in episode one. And even now, I'm still hesitant to say what it is because I know for the folks over in the United Kingdom, they're not going to get this service until March. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get it after the whole show's said and done with. But then you have the Star Wars accounts and the Disney Plus accounts and the Disney Plus accounts just going, ah, you know what? Time's passed. We can post about the spoiler now. It's tough to try ducking it right now because the spoiler was a big one at the end of episode mm-hmm. one. Big. And for The Mandalorian, as we are discussing, it has definitely lived up to the hype thus far. Yeah, it, I mean, it's got Star Wars fans raving. I know a couple people that aren't the biggest Star Wars fans. They enjoy some movies. They enjoy them here and now, but they are loving this series. And how can you not? It's very well done. Yeah. The story is borrowing a lot from different elements, sure. which we'll kind of dig into a little bit. But as we said, and we are always going to remind you, too, we're going to put the timestamp in here, too, because we do definitely don't want to ruin this for all international listeners, mm-hmm. because if you are not able to watch Disney Plus just yet until it's open, I believe, in March over in the U.K. Over in the U.K. and other dates for other places and watching it legally, I should say. Right. So we are going to try making this as friendly for you as possible. So we will timestamp when this starts and when this ends. But let's get into it, shall we? In three, two, one, pad. What did you think about episode two? Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, I think episode two was better than the first one. That's a bold statement right there. It, you know, it, it's building off of itself, and it's not, you know, self-contained episodes. And just it kind of takes the shock value of what happens at the end of the first one, which, I mean, of course, is the, the baby Yoda-looking creature. Yes. You know, that's 50 years old, and, and it kind of goes, all right, we know this is possibly the shocking thing to hit, the most shocking thing to hit Star Wars, like in a long time you know and we're, we're really going to give you an episode on this like they could have done gone the route and gone all right we've shown you this but we're going to go someplace else and really leave you on the edge of wanting to see what happens with this thing but no we're going to give you a full episode of of pedro pascal's character you know kind of palling around with this baby yeah it's kind of a weird interaction like we said at the beginning we are talking spoilers on here that with the cliffhanger ending where the Mandalorian played mm-hmm. by Pedro Pascal, who we don't officially know his name yet. Well, we do. He's given it out, but I'm not going to say it on the show. It's not Boba Fett. He's given the name out, but I don't want to spoil it for people. Right. I have not heard it yet, but I know that everybody's calling him Mandy, which I know is not the name. No, 
<laughs> can safely say that's not the name. Yeah, that's not the name of the it's character. Not the but name. His character finds the baby Yoda creature because we don't know the official name. Everybody's running with it. Well, yeah, everyone says Yoda creature, and that's fine for now because it's the one thing, and this is why it boggles my mind and it blew my mind that they did this route was because, yeah, there are a lot of books and comics and video games and stuff that are no longer canon, you know, the legends, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and George Lucas really let folks run around and play around in his sandbox, if you will. But it was one of Yoda and his whole past and all that was one of two things they couldn't touch. Mm -hmm. The other being Mace Windu's kind of history and and past. Right. You know, Mace Windu and Yoda were kind of the two things that you can't touch. You can go and do whatever the heck else you want with it, but you can't touch this. So that's why you get to the end of the first episode and I'm seeing it. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going here. Well, I think it shows that the Star Wars creators really trust the Mandalorian team to capture the vision mm-hmm. and not do anything too wild well especially there was like uh footage uh, behind the scenes footage that came out after the first episode of george lucas on set mm-hmm. you know vi- visiting wasn't doing any directing or and so i get the feeling that okay this is in the show he was on the set he knows what's in this he's all right with it yeah as long as he's all right with it i mean if anybody else is going to give the sign of approval i mean who better than george lucas uh, there is no one exactly so as we jump into the episode the Mandalorian is now leaving the spot of the shootout where mm-hmm. the baby Yoda has the been, compound or whatever it has been upheld. Mm-hmm. I guess like however it is you want to define it. And they're starting to make their way back to the Mandalorian ship. Yep. Now at this point, Pad, what happens? Uh, he is ambushed by a trio of Trandoshian warriors. Now, if the guys look familiar, uh, they are the, of the same species as one of the bounty hunters you see in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. So, obviously, great action sequence. I mean, yeah. that's one thing you cannot say enough about the show. And some great, like, attention to detail, too, that I didn't realize until I was scrolling through Reddit this morning, where if you go back and watch the episode, there's a shot before they go and jump him and, and ambush him, where he's turning his helmet, and you look at the reflection in the camera, and the reflection in his helmet, you can see the Trandoshans jumping from, like, cliff to cliff overhead him getting ready to attack right and i mean it's so well done i mean like i say they've put so much effort into giving this a movie feel mm-hmm. for a tv show which i i know it sounds so weird to say right but it definitely feels like you're at the movie theater watching this yeah. happen live yeah and obviously they go where the mandalorian defeats the enemy so to speak he defeats the enemy and it also kind of expands or explains a line from empire strikes back where you know they they bring in the bounty the the empire brings in the bounty hunters to find Han and in the, in the Millennium Falcon and he's talking to him and he specifically looks at Boba Fett and goes no disintegrations and we finally get to understand why he said that because we've never really seen a disintegration taking place and oh my god yeah that's that's nasty live right in your face uh huh he decides to show what that can happen yeah he he fights the Trandoshans and he disintegrates one. You know, that's trying to rush and kill the kid, and all that's left are, like, clothes. Right. It's it's just a wild sequence. It's a wild sequence, but I love it that they do throw it back to the Boba Fett line. Mm-hmm. Even though Boba has, depending on what side of the fence you want to argue, has not appeared yet or is not going to appear, blah, blah, blah. It's a very cool line to tie it back to the Empire. Mm-hmm. And it really shows that they're really trying to tie the story into the original trilogy. Yeah. Of 4, 5, and 6. But from here, they go to the Mandalorian ship. You have Baby Yoda who is being remotely controlled in his, uh, I don't want to, what do you call it, a space stroller? Uh, yeah, essentially, you know, a cradle, you know, something. It, it's floating in some capacity. Uh, we don't know how it, it is what it is, but he's just kind of floating there, taking the whole thing in, like, ah, oh, this is casual, like, not making a sound, cooing on occasion. You know, I had to watch the episode with uh, 
subtitles on so he is cooing on, on occasion throughout the episode but yeah no he's just floating around chilling there and they roll up on uh the mandalorian ship which is being ransacked and stripped bare because hey whatever planet they're on because they were two episodes in they haven't said what planet they're on for the the end of the first episode in the entirety of this episode but there are jawas on this planet and if you know anything about jawas even if it's bolted to the floor they're still going to take it yeah, Jawas are definitely an interesting species. A little bit. To say the least. And obviously raiding the Mandalorian ship, probably not the smartest idea, but then again, no. there's enough of them that they give the Mandalorian a fight. And you see the Mandalorian chase after their fortress on wheels, so to speak. Yeah. And he definitely gets left for dead because yeah. he is just outmanned and outgunned. Well, yeah, he just starts sprinting after their sand crawler. And, and the baby's like, and I don't even think we see the baby follow him. No, the baby doesn't. The baby doesn't follow him. And I'm just like, all right, this thing that is like had, I don't know how many people trying to either protect it or kill it. And you're just going to leave it there. And he goes to fight the, the Jawas and the Sandcrawler. And it's, you know, David versus Goliath, almost literally, where you've got this monstrous structure. He's trying to take care of it and fight it. But he's just hilariously outgunned. He gets knocked to the ground and left there. And, and who rolls up on him? Cooley. Uh, yeah, Cooley rolls up on him to help him. <laughs> or no, the baby rolls up oh, on the him. The baby rolls the up. The baby rolls up on him going, basically, you all right? Like, you need Just help? Just kind of staring at him. But then, yeah. obviously, he, he does have Cooley coming to make an assist of yeah. trying to get his parts back. Because at this point, he is in very bad shape. I mean, yeah. from, from the stunned attack that, yeah. that the Jawas gave him. Yeah, they stunned him, dropped him from, I don't know, maybe three, four stories up. Yeah. Left, left him for dead. And, you know, so at this point, he needs to get off the planet and... and fulfill this job he's doing but he's got no way of doing it he's only got one friend on the planet so he goes to see Kui to get help and he's like all right i'll help you yeah Kui, who's played by nick nolte mm-hmm. or voice i voice should i say uh is definitely a great character to play off the mandalorian i have spoken yes i have spoken it was definitely getting hashtag and i know uh, our friend dre driven there was definitely posting that on uh social media and rightfully so it's just how well he balances out the mandalorian mm-hmm on this on the show is really a cool factor and really i hope to see a little bit more of this as the show progresses this this character just isn't a throwaway because he does say well you have to bargain with the jawas if you want to get your stuff back which is not easy and definitely isn't so he arranges the meetup which is hysterical in its own oh it's it's hysterical because they've got everything set up and they're ready to bargain and it's almost you know like the saying what do you get for the person who has everything what do you get for the the create the species that is scavengers will pick apart anything and almost probably has anything you know what do you get them and they roll up on them and they're like they get all excited they're like oh hey customer all right you know let's you know ship up let's let's look good and then they realize who it is and they're like oh crap we got to get the hell out of here and, they, and Kui even goes they don't seem to like you for some reason he got in the mandalorian goes yeah i kind of disintegrated a few of them yeah which is a nice little comic relief thrown in mm-hmm. and the barter is basically set because after they wanted the mandalorian armor and they wanted yeah they want they wanted his beskar shoulder pad that was made in the first episode and he goes no yeah and then, and then they point to the baby and he's like even more no yeah it was just a, a nice hysterical scene to go mm-hmm. through but then they finally agree on an egg yep which at, the egg yeah the egg which at this point we're all kind of going okay yeah like is there some sort of like mystical religious type meaning for this is there is this like some sort of you know, heirloom for their people that's been missing for centuries that he's got to go return. Like what? Like are we gonna have to Indiana Jones this thing? Like what's going on? 
Yeah, so at this point, we're kind of going, okay, well, this is going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. And as the Mandalorian with Baby Yoda go to its cave mm-hmm. where the egg is, uh, Mandalorian makes his way down and then is immediately shot up. Yeah. Because what comes through the hole of the cave? Probably what I would assume to be the mother of said egg uh, being a mudhorn creature. I, now I can't take credit for knowing that offhand. I'm, I had to look it up. You know, it comes charging out at him and knocks, you know, Pedro Pascal on his butt and douses him in mud. Yeah, and definitely, this is the first time we've really seen the Mandalorian, I want to say, challenge. Yeah. Because against the other bounty hunters and the protectors of the compound where Baby Yoda was at, relatively with ease, you would say, but this is the first time we've really seen him challenge, especially when his armor has been damaged. Mm -hmm. Because the Jawas did a little bit of it. Yeah. But this... Well, the Jawas Jawas did a bit of it, and then even when he first landed on this planet where he was kind of scoping things out, and then those other alien beasts, animals, came up on him and bit on his arm, and you actually heard the crunching and the electric, you know, sparking or whatever. Like, he's definitely taken a few punches, and it's something we don't really see a lot because if you go through, like, the entire lineage of, like, the movies and the TV shows and the animated stuff... You only ever really see, at least in my experience, a bounty hunter, not just a Mandalorian, overpowered if, like, okay, they're either they're going against the Force user or there's a lot more of their enemy than they're facing. You've never really seen, you know, like a one-on-one situation where they're like, all right, no, they're out, they're outclassed. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting way to see how the Mandalorian is going to deal with his adversary because, obviously, he knows if he wants to get off this planet, he has to get the egg. Mm-hmm. And he is definitely getting thrown around pretty easily by this creature. Oh, yeah. And when he's down and the beast is ready to make its final strike, something happens. Uh-huh. Pad? The baby uses the Force. Yes. my And now there are hints of it early in the episode because there's one point when before the Mandalorian and the, and the baby get to Kui and they're kind of just sitting there. He's trying to fix things and he does the whole close the pod thing on him and he's trying to fix things. You do see him kind of raise his arm a little bit like he's going to do something, but you know, nothing ever ends up coming of it, but no, the beast just stops, gets lifted into the air. And at this point we're going, I'm I'm going, all right, wait, who's there helping out? Nah, it's the baby. Right. So obviously this was the fanboy moment of the week. Mm -hmm. And I, I admit when I saw this, I was like, marking out a little bit I'm like my jaw dropped yeah i, was, I like, was like holy shit i'm like i don't know what is going on right now yeah but yoda doing yoda things essentially like, yeah because because i know that obviously it's not the yoda no it's not the yoda that yoda is dead and the only other one of his species we saw was uh, one that was in the jedi uh, council in episode one for like a scene so outside that, that's the only ones we've ever known. So, you know, you have this Yoda-like creature show up. You're like, all right, are they going to go and make him a Force user? Are they going to make him do his own thing? No, he's a Force user. And apparently they're all really strong. Right, especially at that age, too, because yeah. to pick up the beast, which is, you almost want to think it's like a woolly mammoth size. Mm-hmm. Somewhere give take. So it allows the Mandalorian to make the final strike and take out said beast, but it takes so much energy out of Baby Yoda, he passes out immediately. <laughs> yeah. And and it's funny, like, eventually the Mandalorian gets back and he tells Kui the story of what's going on. And, and it's one of those, and he, even if this were something like this were to happen in real life, you'd have to have it told to you multiple times before you understood it. And Kui goes, all right, wait, tell me one more time what happened. Yeah. He's like, I don't get it. And, and the Mandalorian goes, neither do I. Right. Because at this point, he's now handed over the egg to the Jawas, which they just wanted for a snack. Yeah, they were just, they were just hungry. Yeah. There's no religious sentiment or, or historical you know, purpose behind it. No, no, they're just hungry. 
in kind of lesser terms, it's the ultimate Klondike bar because what would you do for it? They decided to send a bounty hunter to go fight in a uh, woolly mammoth. They just, it. yeah, you know, what would you do for a Klondike bar? I'd overkill it and send one of the best, you know, hunters in the galaxy on it. Yeah. So it kind of summed up the episode really well. And you see the Mandalorian and Cooley repairing the ship. Uh-huh. And Mandalorian offers him a, a job to be his co pilot and, you know, partner. Yeah. And Cooley turns it down because now he finally has peace on his planet. Yeah. For how long, we don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I hope they add him back to the show at some point. If not this season, next season. I hope they give him his own show because just, you know, just the the whole vibe about the guy where he just says what he says and then goes, I have spoken. Like, it's just something about him. I want to see more. Well, he's just an interesting character. But I think he plays off so well because the Mandalorian is so serious Mm -hmm. and so straightforward that... When you have comic relief that makes sense, it's a nice break in pace. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like the Han and Chewie vibe. Yeah. To a, to a degree yeah. that you just have polar opposites that are there together, but they work well. Mm-hmm. This one is kind of the same vibe. So I definitely hope we see Cooley down the road of the show. But as the show ends for this week, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda take off for apparently where the bounty is. Presumably. You want to think. Presumably. But but the, you don't really know. I mean, that's, no. that's kind of the vibe now because even though the Mandalorian has his assignment, you don't know if he's decided to call an audible and just go his own way. I get the feeling that, you know, whenever he gets to plausibly the next episode, you know, whenever he gets to wherever he's going, he might not be because he's already killed once for this this child. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you think back to the first episode where, you know, the the scientist guy because i know there's been some speculation based off because star wars fans are like this that you know that the scientist that was not that was kind of like walked in late and almost started a you know gunfight there was a marking on his arm that was uh, of the Owens, you know the cloners from the prequel trilogy based off of a logo that pe- people saw on his shoulder of his his outfit mm. you know so lord only knows what they if that's the case what he wants to do with this with this child you know, I get the feeling that, okay, he's already made one audible on this job and, and killed, you know, the, the additional help he had in IG-11. I, I can't help but wonder if he gets to wherever he's got to go for this and sees or finds out what they want to do for this, that he kind of audibles again and goes, nah, I'm not okay with this. Well, you've got to think there's going to be something to this, that there is more to this character than we are seeing at face value. Mm-hmm. And to see that now he's a protector of a child we don't know his history. We no. don't know if there's something that he lost his own family. We wanted, there was kind of a light allusion to it, mm-hmm. um, but to what degree, eh, you don't know. So, I mean, obviously they got some more episodes to play this out Yeah. and how they're going to go about this. I mean, I really like it's doing it. Like I keep reading online that they're tying it into the manga lone wolf and cub, which I, I had to think about. I was like, you know what? There are some elements. That- I mean, there's a lot of stuff that it's, it's getting tied mm-hmm. to. I mean, even down to specific sequences, you know, old movies where it, being compared to the scene where he's crawling up the side of the sand crawler, a la Adam West from the old Batman TV series. Yes. You know, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of comparisons you can make. The only thing that's making it hard for me is, you know, it was good to have to wait a couple of days between episode one and two. Now I got to wait a week. Right, which ah. I, mean, I don't mind doing because it gives you enough time to recap and re, yeah. re-jump into things. Yeah. And obviously you're making your own comparisons of how well this show is because I think two episodes out of the gate is going to be eight episodes for the season. Mm-hmm. They have really made a good argument to get the service. I'll say two great episodes, and bear in mind, 
we haven't seen a lot of the main characters, you mm-hmm. know, or actors or actresses in the show. You know, we still haven't seen Giancarlo Esposito, who played Gus in Breaking Bad. Right. You still haven't seen Gina Carano, of course, MMA fighter, and was also in Deadpool. Yep. You know, you haven't seen Ming-Na Wen, of course, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Mulan. There's a lot of, like, actors and actresses that, like, are big in this show that were two episodes in. We haven't seen them yet. Well, I don't think they want to just, you know, show all their cards, so to speak. Well, yeah. Just yet. Yeah. But, but you are right, and I think that it definitely sets up for some interesting interesting characters meeting down the road mm-hmm. and how this story is going to play out because essentially you have the biggest acquisition in the entire galaxy in baby Yoda, mm-hmm. which is sending rippling effects to both sides, either the rebellion or the, or the empire of who is going to have this child to groom and lead their next revolution. Yeah. And it's, I can't imagine something like this and finding something like this that, you know, he's the, the the child has been sought after for all these years, and all these people have died trying to get it, and this and the other. That I can't imagine that now that he's off the planet, nobody's gonna know. Well, that's the whole thing that there's got to be so much more to this story, especially mm-hmm. how this character is the next generation of Yodas. Or I'm just going to throw this idea out there: Are they going to try doing a Charles Xavier and transfer Yoda's essence into a younger body, so to speak? It's possible. I'm just. I'm throwing just some well, ideas out. No, I'm. It, it's plausible. It, I mean, it's possible. They did do something akin to that in Legends now, where I for, I can't remember the comic name, but it was one of those ones where it was a comic, it was a book, and I think there was also a video game based off of it. But it was essentially how they brought the Emperor back for that story purpose was that he was trans. You know. Because of the dark side taking such a dramatic toll on his body, and, and if anyone can remember the name of what I'm talking about, hashtag ODPH, where just using the dark side for so many prolonged years and all this was such a, dr- a drain on his body that it, his body, his physical body was aging faster than anything. And mm-hmm. he kept having to transfer his his mind and his essence, which is something that Sith have been able to do in the past in the Legends, but in New Canon, they haven't really established that. So, I mean, I don't think so because... Yoda show, you know, this this takes place, you know, six, nine years or whatever it is after, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi. And we see Yoda show up in uh, The Last Jedi as a force goes. So I can't imagine that's what they're going to do with that because it get really weird and really confusing and you'd have to kill a kid off. Yeah, which I don't necessarily know how they're going to play this out. I mean, that's the mystery of how they're going to explain who is kid Yoda. Mm hmm. And I mean, I, th- I think that's what we're going to just call him on the show is Kid Yoda. Kid Yoda. I mean, because this for Star Wars is arguably the biggest bombshell they've dropped. Now, I know a couple of years ago there was the whole comic, oh, Hans Mary thing, but that got changed like a month later. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time something like this happened and it was such a dramatic ripple effect that you had the diehard fans like myself going, oh, my God. You had the casuals going, oh, my God. And you had the people who like they'd seen movies and they weren't really all that big into it going, oh, my God. I would say the, the last time might be The Force Awakens. Yeah. I Because obviously what happened with Han, because yeah. that spoiler got leaked out. I mean, we got, we got it spoiled for us the night of, and we thought it was kidding. Yeah, thanks a lot, TCW. <laughs> um, when that spoiler hit, that was the one that did it, and especially it took off all like wildfire because of the character involved. Mm-hmm. This one, obviously, whether you're a diehard Star Wars fan or a casual you have an idea who Yoda is. Yeah. You, whatever interpretation. It, it, it's one of those characters that, you know, you may not, you may know a lot about it, or you may have only seen the movies a couple of times. You see Yoda's face. You know who it is. You know the talk. You know how he speaks. Right. You know, you know everything about the guy. It, it's just one of those things. 
is one of those things that as the show progresses forward, it's got a lot of hype it's delivering on. Absolutely. I know it's two episodes in. I'm not saying this is the greatest thing ever, but they have definitely taken their time with this. They're honoring the past history of Star Wars mm-hmm. while also forging a new path. So what else could you ask for a spinoff show? Not much. I mean, this is this has been some of the best storytelling for, you know, not film related that I've seen since some of the stuff they did with the Clone Wars. And that's not disrespect to Rebels or, you know, the resistance, no, but- resistance or anything, but just in terms of like how good this story is and how much it captivates, you know, myself and others. I haven't seen anything like this in some of the, like I said, some of the episodes in Clone Wars. Yeah. So definitely some high praise coming from the OD page panel, but let us know what you think. If you've seen episode two, what is your thoughts on the Mandalorian? We definitely want to know. Did you love it or did you hate it? And if you hated it, why? Cause I definitely want to have that conversation. Hit us up on those social media accounts. We'll definitely interact with you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello there. Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And we're going to start talking about a show we haven't mentioned in a while. Been a little busy. Been a little busy. Obviously, we do cover the DCCW universe. And trust me, when we get time for Crisis, it's going to be a very, very big episode that we're going to be talking about everything going on with Crisis on Infinite Earths. So all I know with that is they did release some promo uh, images from that uh, today as we record, including a look at Tom Welling reprising his role as Superman. Uh, He's in his traditional garb, if you've ever seen uh, the Smallville TV show where it's his street clothes. Put him in the suit, you cowards. <laughs> it's going to happen. Crisis has got so much going on that obviously we've been kind of focusing a lot of our attention on that. But there's a lot of great TV that's happening on Sunday nights that we don't get to cover as much. Mm-hmm. But we are going to be talking about a show near and dear to our hearts. Yes. And that's The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Now, this season has been interesting. Interesting. I would almost say it's almost like a, a powder keg where... The powder keg's sitting off in one portion of the room or in the, in the field, and you got the line of gunpowder leading up to it, and the fuse is already lit, and we're just kind of waiting for that fuse to finally hit the powder keg and go kaboom. Right, because this season, obviously, a lot of changes going on. Yeah. Andrew Lincoln no longer with the show. Nope. 
Daryl Dixon is now the head character played by Norman Reedus. And I think there's finally a character on that show that if that character dies, uh, people will riot more than they would if Norman Reedus died in that show, and that's Norman Reedus' dog in the show. Yes. That the ascension of his character of Daryl to being the focal of the show has really stepped up the show's quality, I think. Yeah. And to take it where it's now going to be facing Alpha and the Whispers yet again in the lead into the Whispers War, which does happen in the comics. So oh, yeah. They've been loosely following a lot, but they've been making changes, obviously, with certain characters no yeah. longer on the show yeah. or going to be coming back at some point that... Uh, Lauren Cohen's character Maggie's coming back. Yep. At some point, we know we know Michonne is leaving. Yep. So there's a lot of wheels moving in the show. Well, and I gotta say, just to get back to the, your point about Daryl kind of being elevated to the leader position, for me, it's almost kind of like it's it's a breath of fresh air almost because it you know he's so different from Rick. Yeah. Where, where Rick is the politician and he's the okay, wait, hold off, let's not jump to conclusions, let's not jump to you know decisions let's take a step back let's sit in committee and and you know figure this out and then we'll make a plan daryl will do that to a certain extent he will definitely lean on his his friends and and you know other you know people living in the community and he will definitely use them for advice and whatnot but he's not one of those those characters who will sit back and kind of let things play out before he makes a decision all right, I'm going to ask you for advice, but at the same token, I'm going out the door and I'm going to take care of business. It also reminds me of when Wolverine was in charge of the X-Men. Oh, yeah. In the comics. Yeah. Kind of that vibe, but flip it to the TWD universe. Yeah. So that being said, the season has been a roller coaster ride with a lot of... A lot of dramatic tension. Yes. So do you want to break down some of the highlights, would you say, Pat, since you've been watching a little more than I have? Yeah. So no, I got to say, probably the biggest highlight for me, and be, this is because I've read the comics, you know, I know where this is going. Is, and we are going to be talking some spoilers, too, just yeah. to clear that up to us. You know, one of the highlights for me has got to be uh, the, the relationship between uh, Rick's daughter... Judith. Uh, Judith uh, and... Negan and just and it's one of those interesting things that I know we've I think we talked about on the show before where you've got an entire community of people that you know know what he did and and are, are have their own opinions about it and then you have her that was very very young and don't, doesn't remember any of that and she's kind of like what's the harm you know he's never done anything wrong he's he's been very nice to me yeah I think that's been one of my favorite things I think the other favorite thing I've had was the end of the episode I want to say it was either last week or the week before I forget where you get to the end of the episode and they realize Negan's gone and I'm like oh they're going there I can't wait yes because in the comics this is a very big turning point mm -hmm. for both the whispers and the survivors yeah when Negan leaves so they've been loosely following the books a little more mm -hmm. obviously there's been some big changes because of who was on the uh, Game of Thrones scene, shall we call it? Yeah. Um, to end last season, where there were certain characters killed off that weren't killed off in the books. Yeah. It seems that they're slowly working that out in the show. That I think one of the biggest uh, cases is King Ezekiel, mm -hmm. who originally was killed off in the comics, right? Uh, on the heads on the pike mm -hmm. scene. Yeah. But it's, it turns out that he now has cancer. Yeah. But yeah, he's got a big old growth on his neck. Yeah. So that being said. There's a lot of stuff that's going on with him that if he's leaving the show, this is how he's going. That's very different. Than right. And I, and I know he's, you know, the character has become one of those, you know, everyone's got a bet down on when the character is going to go. And, mm -hmm. and then it's to the point where, like, you know, he's getting asked in interviews, oh, is this the week you're going to get, get killed off? And, he, and he's been very nice about it and, and had some fun with it. But, no, I mean, it's, it's one of those scenarios with the character having cancer that I got to admit in all the years I've been watching the show and reading the comics and playing some of the video games – 
I never considered that happening to these characters in the universe that, you know, as bad as things are that like you not only have to worry about psychopaths knocking at your front door who have no sense of moral right and wrong, just survival to you've got to worry about the hordes and the zombies and, and what have you that cancer still a thing. And then like you're back to medieval dark ages times or even, you know, back in, in like colonial America times where you can't just go to a doctor, get some chemo or some radiation and, you know, six months to a year, hopefully you're good. No, like you get stuck with this. Like they're back to like, oh, we got to do the herbal remedies and like the, the voodoo witchcraft stuff. It's one of the things with the Walking Dead universe. They haven't really covered health issues. Yeah. Per se. That I think that just how they're treated and dealt with um, in modern time right now. Yeah. They don't have that option in that universe. So I think to see it happen now it's an interesting take, mm-hmm. um, to say the least. So that if this is how they're going to play this character out, then sure, okay, that makes some sense. Yeah, that it's something different. They really want to go in a different direction. Which, like I said, they haven't really touched upon in the comics. I can't really no. remember because even when they had like uh, their flu bug way back, yeah, then, they really thought, well, you're getting sick, you're going to turn into the zombies. That's the closest we've had it, right? And, and you know, something like the flu is to be expected because you know it's it's the same reason kids get sick a lot you know, in the winter times when they're at school, mm-hmm. you're essentially putting like 30 kids together in a room for like eight hours a day. Kids are going to get sick. Mm. The same case is, is true here for these communities, because it's not like you're branching out and you're, you, you know, your nearest neighbors, you know, how, you know, a couple hundred feet apart. No, like they're very tightly compact together. So it's essentially an incubator mm-hmm. that, okay, something like the flu makes sense. But like I said, never would have considered some of these more serious diseases that, you know, you would see. Right, and obviously it's a whole different ballgame of how they treat them because, like yeah. I say, the ways that they do it with modern medicine now, yeah. unfortunately, they don't have that option in the no. DWD universe. No. So it just adds to another dimension of storytelling for that. So mm-hmm. it's been interesting to say the least of the directions they've been going in to, yeah. with all their characters. And especially this past week mm-hmm. has been the build-up to the mid-season finale. Yep, and I know where they're going with it, and I cannot wait for them to so do it. So why don't you break down this past week's episode? Yeah, so of course this week's uh, episode was dealing more with the sick patients in Alexandria. Something's been going on. Nobody's quite sure, but Sadiq has been running ragged in the hospital, makeshift hospital they have there. You know, it's essentially a hospital, but it's a house turned into a hospital. So, mm. you know, he's been dealing with that and, you know, trying to get everyone figure a figuring out what the heck is wrong that you've got so many people, including Rosita who are sick and throwing up and fevers and the whole nine, you know, he's running to the point where, you know, he's exhausted and he starts hallucinating. He, he hallucinates and looks out a window and, and sees alpha wearing uh, her out the outfit that she wore when she was kind of incognito in the fair. Mm-hmm. And he sees that and he goes, Oh wait, what? And it kind of like, Oh, Nope, she's not there, but he's hallucinating. Well, it's one of those points that they throw it back to when alpha made her first attack on yeah. the community. And how she snuck in incognito mm-hmm. and definitely made some noise on her way out the door. Yeah. So to see that she's been plotting her revenge since the border was crossed mm-hmm. in her mind. And this has all been leading up to how she's been slowly, methodically trying to attack the hilltop and, mm-hmm. the, and the community. It's been a wild scenario, to say the least. And then it's now been alluded to that she's been poisoning the water. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that they kind of hint at in the beginning of this episode where, you know, he, he goes out to check on Rosita and others. He being Sadiq, uh, he gets water from the well they have there and he accidentally lets it keep running, 
you know, because he's distracted. Uh, but people keep drinking from the water and they keep getting sick. It's one of those things that, you know, you wouldn't consider it because, hey, we're in a universe where if you die, you're going to turn into a zombie. Why would the water be tampered? Yeah. But then when it turns out it's Walker blood that's in the water, stream, mm-hmm. then obviously the uh, chemistry element and yeah. biology element of the Walking Dead universe comes very much into play. Wasn't that something they alluded to or kind of like we're worried about in season two? I want to say when they, they had the Walker in the well. Yes. Weren't that, wasn't that something like at least it was brought up that like, oh, we can't drink that. That's like our one source of water. It might be contaminated. Uh-huh. Okay. That's what I thought. I, I, like, it just occurred to me. Yeah. No, they, they've, they've tampered with that a little bit, a bit. I mean, the Walker in the Well um, story arc, that was a portion of it. Plus, when they were growing um, farm animals. Oh, yeah. And they were worried about the animals being contaminated from um, eating uh, soil that was contaminated by Walker, mm-hmm. yeah. Walker's blood. Yeah. That was another factor, too. So they, they have touched upon this a little bit yeah. throughout the 10 years of the show. Yeah. Uh, so then you get to Daryl uh, calling for Lydia while Carol is escorting their whisperer hostage uh, into the cell. You know, uh, Carol asks Lydia later, you know, wonder because, you know, Carol's, you know, uh, Terminus Carol and just wants to go in guns blazing and take down the whispers and everyone's kind of like, well, pull you know, pull the reins back a little bit here. We gotta we gotta hold off. Like, don't get too crazy. Yeah. The but, the one thing I just to jump in quick. The one thing about Carol this season is that she has really turned back into like you said, Terminus mm-hmm. Carol. That she has not been the evolution that we've seen her play. I mean, Melissa, say it's not the, oh, let's bake cookies and give them to everybody, Carol. Right. Melissa McBride has definitely gone through the roller coaster of personas Mm -hmm. as carol and now this one is the one that really i think in my eyes won fans over Mm -hmm. just to see how strong she came out with right this one is just almost teeters on the line of becoming alpha Mm -hmm. to her own degree and this is where you're seeing the friendship between her and daryl yeah really get pushed to the test because as they are best friends they're almost like two different ideologies per se of how to deal with a threat. Right. And I think it just goes to show about how much um, McBride has really added to that character that 10 years later, yeah, you're still flipping the switch and you can still bring these other personas out. Mm-hmm. And they're really being well received. Yeah, so you've got Carol, Daryl, Lydia, and even uh, Gabriel trying to figure out what to do with this hostage because, you know, they ask Lydia, they go, do you think he'll be able to lead us to, you know, the, the whispers? And she goes, yeah, he might be able to. But then they run into the issue of, okay, how are we going to get this out of him? Because... You know, anyone they've ever talked to or or captured with whispers had been loyal to the death to Alpha and and everyone over there. So they kind of figure out, all right, how are we going to do this? And and Daryl wants to go to some extreme measures and really like torture it out of him to get it out of him. And Gabriel is just not about that. He's like, listen, you're going to get information out of this guy. I want you to a treat him before you do this, and then b I want to be in the room when you go to ask him questions. Like I. I uh, Gabriel at this point doesn't trust Daryl being alone with this prisoner. Well, obviously he knows their track records of you know acting with emotion. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. I mean, Gabriel's trying to yeah you know be the diplomat here. Yeah. It's so weird to say, but it's true. Yeah, and so then you they find they find like all right, why don't we'll treat the guy? So they bring in uh, Dante and Sadiq to tend to the prisoner. Uh, the prisoner recognizes Sadiq. Uh, which prompts uh, Gabriel to uh, suggest, hey, Dante, why don't you take over from here? And he has fl- a flashback to AJ getting uh, his head cut off with a machete by Alpha, so m- more you know flashbacks and freakouts. Yeah, Sadiq has had his, his issues of, mm-hmm. of um, post-traumatic syndrome. Mm-hmm. So 
with that being said, it's a, a fine line he walks on when he's yeah. just reliving a lot of, uh, of issues with that. Then you get to the, I, I want to say, probably one of the more interesting sub-stories, I guess you could say, that have been going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, Aaron meets up with Gamma on the bridge, and he's eating fresh bread, and, you know, with it as kind of like... I don't want to say run down, but like kind of bare bones as the whispers seem to be. She kind of uh, Gamma asks how they always have their ripe with supplies like bread. And he goes, he walks to the, he offers to give her something. He goes, Hey, here, you know, and she's surprised to hear that they have children. And, and he goes, well, wait, don't you guys have children at your camp? And Gamma says, children hold you back. And she claims to be an only child, although omitting her sister having been killed in a prior episode. Hmm. You know, and then we get back to the cell, and Carol sits down and says, "Let's get started." Before she uncovers some, she get, wants to feed him. You know, good cop, bad cop scenario, possibly. She gives him some honey, jam, strawberry. You know, some strawberries and apples. She also mentions uh, they have salted fish, so they're definitely trying to get on this guy's good side. Like, hey, we got some good stuff for you here. You, you give us some information, you get some more good stuff going on for you here. Yeah, he, but he's seeing through this. He goes, "All right, what do you want?" And pass and she go passes when she wants to have a conversation. So she just gives him the bread and walks out, you know. And he slowly starts to eat it, you know. Before he goes, I think it's the hunger kind of diving in on him where he goes, "All right, you know, I'm hungry. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat all this stuff." Yeah, this is kind of where that everybody's ruse is kind of mm-hmm. getting exposed. So now you're really seeing what everybody's lying on the table here, so to speak. Yeah. So then you know, a couple scenes later, Sarah, uh, Carol's interrogation is continuing. And she, now she's moved past the good cop stage. And now she's into the bad cop stage where she's uh, inflicting pain on him by putting her finger on his shoulder wound and really pressing down on that wound. Uh, he makes a derogatory comment back to her and she puts her old wedding ring on and uses it to beat him saying, quote, you're all weak. Uh, he declares, uh, prompting Daryl to pull out a knife. He promises to take his fingers, ears, and teeth. Uh, the man says that then the prisoner then goes on to say they lie to themselves and that they fight for sandwiches, ignoring the truth. Truth quote, saying, quote, I would never betray Alpha. She rescued me. She protects me. She loves me. She loves us all. She sacrificed her own daughter for us. And then Carol goes, uh, wait a minute. Not the case. Yeah, the, the big truth of... Alpha's lie has been exposed because mm-hmm. it's rumored that she killed off Lydia. And yeah. Well, that hasn't happened. Yeah. So Carol wants to bring in Lydia to maybe try to like come into God moment or like really break through to this guy. Daryl doesn't want to get him to get her involved. Like, listen, the less she's involved with this, the better. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, it's an interesting back and forth between the two where traditionally they've kind of been on the same page for a while. Right. So obviously they need to add that conflict in there. So mm-hmm. and it makes sense because it's just. When Carol goes through her different personalities, and I'm almost wondering if she has, like, uh, almost, you want to say, split personalities. Yeah. Just how she goes back and forth so quickly. Yeah. That obviously, that's causing some conflict. Yeah, so then you, uh, in the woods, a walker finds and attacks Gamma. Alpha is watching nearby. Uh, she questions her about, you know, she asks her about Aaron, or, or as she calls him, the man with the metal arm. Uh, and she basically tells him what she what she knows, that, or tells her what she knows, excuse me, uh, that he has a daughter. And, you know, she, uh, Alpha wonders if she asked about, if uh, she was asked about her sister's child, but Gamma swears she didn't. Alpha tells her to remove her mask. Gamma uh, then is ready for, like, uh, to get beaten up by alpha because hey she's seen this stuff before mm. you know and she you know she gets ready but then uh alpha tells her to, you know hey remain strong and finally concluding with an i believe you she uh, she goes on to tell gamma that aaron is tempting her with lies and she need not be seduced so it's definitely that like 
you know, uh, serpent's tongue type of yeah. thing. We're like, we're spinning, we're spinning a web of lies here, but you can't get out of it because you're so wrapped up in it. Yeah, it's an interesting play they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you get Rosita questioning Sadiq about what's really going on in his mind. He says, you know, it's like I'm still there, um, referring to the night of the, with the whispers. He remembers their screams and smells the blood. You know, people are dying. He, you know, it won't, he says at one point, and uh, she assures him that he's doing everything he can. Uh, he says it all bothers him so much because of Enid and how much he misses her and thinks he failed her. He feels guilt over surviving. Rosita demands he pull through and fight, f- fight it for her and Coco and everyone else. So it's definitely like going back to the PTSD you mentioned that survivor's guilt that you know why why me why am I here yeah which I thought was a really interesting element they added to the character Mm -hmm. because Sadiq is you know the only medical trained person that's in the camp that we know of Mm -hmm. so to see how you know the life that they live is affecting him on this level it was really a, a good element to add to the story Mm -hmm. to just kind of say that not everything is just so robotic like zombies humans everything's falling apart yeah. everything is fine when it's not yeah and i think when they showcased this with sadiq i thought it was really adding something to his character and adding something to the storyline yeah uh that night gamma and aaron meet again of course and then uh, gamma insists he doesn't want anything from her or he insists to gamma he doesn't want anything from her or you know you know and then she says oh if you give me anything i'm gonna burn it you know and he crosses the border to pick something up she puts a knife to his neck and starts questioning him she goes oh how many people do you have and carol walks out and gamma see and carol's walking out with uh who lydia mm-hmm. and then uh you know gamma scampers off because oh my god wait a minute i was told the daughter's dead that you know she sacrificed her for the greater good and that's not the case right you know so and then you see uh af- you know after that Lydia is upset with Carol's use of her, so she hits her with a pull and leave. Because at this whole thing, time with Lydia, Lydia has been go, you know a tug of war. Like, all right, whose side am I on? You know, am I with with the survivors? Am I with the whispers? And finally, she goes, you know what? I'm tired of you guys using me. I'm tired of you guys playing me against both sides for your own benefit. I'm on my own side. I'm going off on my own. And so she hits Carol with a pull and leaves. And then you see Gamma off in the woods having a full blown breakdown. Yeah. So this is really going to show that everybody has finally been building up to try and get the one upper hand on everybody, and it's failing on all sides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the big plan of who's going to be able to have the upper hand is just falling apart. For Carol, all the work she's been doing, trying to manipulate Lydia, but for the greater good, is now blown up in her face. Mm-hmm. And Alpha's words of you know true sacrifice has now gone up in smoke too. Yeah, and then to close out the episode, uh, it's back to Alexandria and Sadiq is gazing out the window, and uh, Dante decides to pay him a visit, and he starts by uh, trying to take the blame for everything, and he says, "It you know ever this isn't how everything works." He says, "You know this place is special. Uh, to, you know it takes everyone here to build, grow, fight, raise rugrats, and heal people. Everyone carries equal weight, so when something happens, it's all our fault. Yeah, it's one of us is if one of us is suffering, we're here to help." You know, Dante is telling him this, and the entire time he's getting closer and closer to Sadiq, and and uh, and and declares that Sadiq is his friend and that everything's going to be okay. You know, doing the great friend thing. Like, hey, listen, I know you're down. I can see you're down here. Let me try to pick you back up a little bit. You know, he starts making a noise and and it triggers Sadiq's PTSD again. And he has flashbacks to uh, another flashback to the Night of the Whisper. And, uh, you know, a man is making the same noise uh, that he's hearing, telling him, open his eyes, open his eyes. Uh, Dante says the same thing, prompting Sadiq's realization. They then have a fight in the room, but Dante gets the best of him and chokes him out. And Dante says... Close your eyes right as he kills Sadiq and to finish the episode. So a lot of big moves happening 
going into the midseason finale. Mm-hmm. Now, overall, how have you thought the season has been? All right. I mean, not the best thing in the world. You know, the, the dramatic tension for me has kind of been good. You know, it, it's not all talking and all this. It's kind of like you're waiting for the battle to start. And you got the pieces lined up and you got the the cannons are loaded and the guns are loaded and you're just waiting, you know, you're just waiting for that mistake or that slip up to start things that, you know, with the survivors and especially Carol being so gung ho like they are and and even going as far into crossing into their into their land. And and Carol's had a couple episodes where she's gone. We need to find that horde and take out that horde. And I'm like, as the viewers sing, they're having seen how big that horde is going. I don't think you got enough for that. You know, it's it's been it's been all right though. I think for, for where they are at this point in the storyline, I think they've learned from a few mistakes. I think to set up for the Whisper War, the buildup has been shorter. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been as awful as it was for All Out War. It definitely doesn't feel drug out. Yeah, this doesn't feel that drug out. I think the different elements they've added to the TWD world, mm-hmm. you know, has been very interesting. Yeah, and I thought it's had a different dynamic. Yeah, which I think at this stage. To have the show being on 10 years, yeah, you need to freshen it up somehow. Yeah. And obviously trying to add, I want to say, real-world problems into the zombie apocalypse, as weird as that statement sounds, I think they've done a good job with it. And I definitely think, you know, in regards to the source material to what we see on screen, shortening some stuff in this instance has been good because if you read the comics, you know, Negan's kind of, I don't know, I don't know, indoctrination, pledging, like whatever you want to call it in the comics is a lot longer than what we've seen on the show. And mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that because I feel like if they went and just did the full, you know, you know, you got to prove yourself. You prove yourself kind of thing, you know, on the show as it is in the comics, it'd be way too drawn out. So I think they've done, like you said, some of the changes and stuff they've made from the comic to the show in regards to, like, direct adaptations have been good. Yeah, I think that they've done enough that it warrants a season that they've had. Yeah. That I know I haven't been watching as faithfully. I've been trying to catch up as best I can, which I've been hammering through, actually, before the show. Uh, The Walking Dead is just one of those polarizing shows that, like, at this point... You lose a lot of your main actors. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from here and who picks up the storyline? Yeah. And I think as long as they have Daryl and Carol, they're going to be okay. Negan, obviously, is a force of nature in his own right. Yeah. And where he goes with his story, if they follow the comics. Which I'm betting they do. I'm betting they do as well. And they have to because if they tried at this stage to swerve it somehow. hmm I don't know if the payoff will be as good. The way I think they're going to do it, I think they're going to do it very, the end of the episode is going to be very faithful to the comics because if you pick up the hardcover books of the comics, which group, I don't know how many comics in the one hardcover book, uh, I think it's volume 14 or so is about where we are in the show. And the end of that volume, uh, I won't spoil it because, you know, I don't want to spoil it for people, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm, oh, I know. The end of one of those issues would make for a great thing to see and then immediately cut to the credits. Well, if they set it up like how they did for the eeny, meeny, miny, mo, mm-hmm. I think they'll be okay as well. Yeah. I think they should try doing that to add a little drama to it, but sure. we'll kind of have to wait and see. Either way, Walking Dead has definitely been an interesting ride this season. Yeah. For getting renewed already for season 11 is mm-hmm. is crazy to me and the fact they're doing another spinoff show. Yeah. 
Uh, Spinoff show when we still haven't seen anything from the films, TV films, whatever it is, uh, with regarding Rick, Andrew, Rick, Link, Andrew Lincoln. Yeah, with Rick Grimes. Like, what the heck's going on with that? Yeah. I don't really know what to think of the TWD universe now. I, I'm thinking that after the flagship show eventually runs its course, where do they go from here? I think it's, uh, for me, it, you know, the stuff going forward, it's going to be kind of like an a la carte type of scenario where I may not like everything, but I'll give stuff a try. I, I gave Fear the Walking Dead a try. wasn't the biggest fan of that. You know, this new series comes out. I'll definitely give it a few episodes to try, but if I'm not vibing with it, if I'm not liking it, I'm not going to stick around just for the sake of sticking around because, oh, I'm a Walking Dead fan. I got to watch everything. Like, I'll give it a shot, but, you know, if it's not good, I won't stick around. Yeah, it's going to be one of those, show me what you got. Yeah. And essentially, Fear fear has gotten better. I will say that. It's not my must-see on Sunday nights, but it has gotten better. The new show, from what a little I've seen of it, I'm I'm just I'm not into. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, you know, change my mind with it. Show me something better. Either way, The Walking Dead is going to end the 2019 on a stronger note than it was originally planned to be on. Yeah. And I think you have to applaud it for that. The season finale is going to be something to definitely remember. Mm-hmm. And if you're into The Walking Dead, you have an idea where we're going because right after this is the Big Whisper War. So let's get ready for that, shall we? Uh-huh. So hit us up on that hashtag, will you? Hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation. What's your thoughts on The Walking Dead this season? Do you, have you loved it? Do you hate it? Do you just quit watching it? And why? We definitely want to know. Hit us up. We'll go from there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH, and we decided to kind of take a little step back and kind of talk about a couple subjects that have been going on involving uh-huh. the streaming services. Yeah. Now, Disney Plus obviously has came out the gate. Uh-huh. Mandalorian is a huge success. The MCU is getting ready to unveil their line of shows coming out in 2020. Yep. Now we kind of had a little news break that I thought was kind of a little curveball and definitely want to dig into a little conversation about Yeah. So, Pad, you want to lead us into us? Yeah, so uh, Chadwick Boseman, of course, who plays uh, T'Challa, Black Panther in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is doing been doing some press for the film he's got coming out. I think it's either this week or next week, uh, 21 Bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, looks like a great film. Looks might, great. Might end up go see, going to see it if I get the chance. Uh, but he was doing an interview with MTV and specifically MTV International. It's on their YouTube channel where he was asked the following question, quote, which Avengers co-star would you choose to join up with for another Marvel adventure? Close quote. Mm-hmm. Now, this in regards to, of course, you've got shows like Falcon and Winter Soldier coming out where you've got Anthony Mackie reprising his role as Falcon. And you've got Sebastian Stan uh, reprising his role as Bucky Barnes. You've got Emily Van Camp reprising her role as Sharon Carter. You've got WandaVision coming up where you've got Paul Bettany reprising Vision. Kat Dennings reprising Darcy Lewis. I mean, you've got Elizabeth Olsen reprising Scarlet Witch. Uh, and in Star Wars, you've got uh, Diego Luna reprising his role as Cassian Andor from uh, Rogue One. And you've got Alan. Tudyk playing K2SO uh, from Rogue One again, and even Ewan McGregor uh, playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again for the Disney Plus streaming service that's coming up. So uh, his answer for said, again, the question was, which Avengers co-star would you choose to join up with for another Marvel adventure? Uh, Chadwick Boseman had an interesting uh, quote saying, Basically, that he's got no interest in doing it because none of those are a franchise. You know, he wouldn't want to team up with everybody. The, the kind of the red flag for me on this one is okay. You don't want to do a, a, another 
service or you know another TV show streaming service show type thing. But the way the what if show is billed as is if we have the characters showing up in the in this show, the star is going to be voicing them. Is that still the case with Chadwick Boseman, or is he kind of skipping out on this? It's very interesting to kind of play out. I mean, it depends on what they want to use mm-hmm. for Black Panther being involved in right. what if. I think that because he's only had the one movie and then Avengers, mm-hmm. maybe he wouldn't be featured this season. It's not to say that down the road he wouldn't come there. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very interesting that he was, it almost sounds like he was being vocal that he didn't want to do Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, he said, quote, I wouldn't because I don't want to do a TV show. He uh, And then adding, he's got other things he's excited about and doing, and quote, none of those are franchises. And the thing, if you watch his video, he says it while laughing at the same time. Like, I don't know if it's like a an awkward laugh like oh this is really uncomfortable to talk about or it's just like you know whatever his instinct was at that moment to laugh yeah i don't i don't really know and i think that if it is the case that you didn't want to come to do disney plus i i don't know if that's just for right now Mm -hmm. that could be something down the road i mean you can almost think about like when chris evans said he didn't want to participate in more than six marvel films sure and then obviously changed his mind after the Avenger, you know, success of Captain America. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not to say that this isn't out of the realm of thought that he wouldn't want to change his mind to this either. Sure. It's just very interesting that out the gate he's already said he's not really interested. Mm-hmm. And I think that if he's looking at where the direction of the MCU is going. Right. You might not really have a choice per se. No, yeah, and that's the thing is, okay, you know, yes, you, you can have the discussion and have the argument that, oh, none of these are franchises, but it's you know, it's kind of like a bridge or maybe a throughway to expanding your franchise because let's be honest, you know, it I don't think you'd be without the Falcon and Winter Soldier series, I'm not sure you'd be able to pull off what they're gonna do, whatever it is they're gonna do with Falcon and Winter Soldier series and have, you know, Falcon come to grips with, okay, I've got to take on a monumental role and fill some darn big shoes that it might be impossible for me to fill. You know, it works great in my mind for a television series or a streaming series. I'm not sure you could pull it off on the big screen among while amongst having your overarching story of whatever it would end up being. Mm-hmm. And especially since they've not given Falcon his own movie. And, I'm, and I don't, I would like to see it. I don't know if they will. But it'd be just very hard to do like amidst like the next Avengers movie or whatever it is. Oh, hey, like, you know, whatever that is, because we're sitting here, you know. In 2019, we don't know when the, the next Avengers movie is coming. If it's, let's just say, three years down the road, are you really going to sit here and especially these movies, unless stated, take place in that year that they are released? You're sitting here telling me, oh, it took him three years or more to kind of finally sit down and come to grips with being the next Captain America? Like, I, I just don't see that happening. I just don't see that happening either. So this is going to be an interesting story to see how this gets played out. Mm-hmm. Because with how much is getting tied into, and like I said, I'm just going to use the example of WandaVision. Yeah. And how much that's going to impact Doctor Strange, too. Well, now uh, Kevin Feige has come out and said that Loki is going to tie into uh, Doctor Strange's next film as well. Right. That this might not be an option if you sign up for the MCU. Mm-hmm. That you might have to do television if the, if you perceive this as it. Sure. But th- then again, this comes to an argument that do you perceive the TV or the streaming shows as TV Mm -hmm. because you look at the Mandalorian yeah, and look at the success that that's have. And you do have some actors that have been primarily been on TV. Yeah. Let's be honest about this. 
But you also have another Star Wars show that's coming out mm-hmm. that has a very noted movie star, yeah. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Is coming back to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. So how are you going to say that it's just TV if you're having movie stars come back to do other franchises? Now, it could be personal prerogative, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying he doesn't have a right to have that idea. I'm just saying that if you're going to be signed up for the MCU, and the MCU is now shifting gears where you are now going to be building your shows and your movies mm-hmm. through Disney Plus. Right. And then wherever they go from there, whether it is to another um, movie or it's to another streaming service per se, like Daredevil on Hulu, if yeah. that's where they go yeah. or, or something like that. Because we don't know where the edgier characters are going to wind up. Just everybody right now is, sc- is slated for Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Well, let's be honest. There ain't no way they're putting Punisher on Disney Plus. <sighs> Yeah, no. <laughs> no way that's happening. No, I no. N- not even if they did Archie versus the Punisher, <laughs> which that would just be something in its own right. But either way, what the point is to this uh, topic is what happens now if your movie stars don't want to go mm-hmm. to do Disney Plus or, I mean, or TV? Maybe it's some trepidation with, you know, okay, you, you want to do the movies. They look big and they look good and, you know, the effects and this and the other. And let's be honest, with TV comic shows as we know it to this point you know it's night and day they don't look anything alike the tv stuff looks inferior they don't get as big as budgets but then you kind of flip it flip the coin and go okay well yeah that's the case but look at something like the mandalorian where it looks like a movie that if you know if they were to put this out as a movie i'd buy it you know i i would fully buy every eight episode of this season packaged into a four hour or however long movie it ends up being it looks like you, you could put it on the big screen Oh, yeah, absolutely, and you, you can't say it doesn't look like it. The production value is there. Mm-hmm. You can't say for any stretch of the imagination that this does not look like a big-budget production. And that might be the fear of going in thinking that these shows are going to be just a TV show, mm-hmm. which there's no slight if you do TV. If the material is there mm-hmm. and it's good and the actors involved are good, yeah. You're going to have a great show. Maybe it's going to take like, you know, him being told or because I can't imagine he'll have time to watch any of these series when they come out, you know, because to this point, we don't know what these are going to look like. We don't know how they're going to affect things overall. Maybe once some of these like Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, WandaVision start coming out and then people, you know, friends, family of his, you know, can go, hey, listen, we know you said you didn't want to do a TV series. But these series are really good, and they're ending up having a major impact on things overall. I think they're going to have to. And I think that it's going to be something that if an actor wants to join the MCU, mm-hmm. they're going to have to know that you might have to make an appearance on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Like, if you meant to say it tongue-in-cheek, which the way I heard it, I don't think that is the case. No. I think it was just, no, I, I don't see the appeal of going to work for TV. Which, I mean, like I said, that's completely his right to have. Yeah. I get that. But what I'm saying is, if you're going to be involved with the MCU, and this is the direction they're going in, mm-hmm. there's going to have to be a change made at some point. I'm oh, not, so you, am you, I saying recast? No, no, by no means. No. But I think that for a lot of the actors and actresses involved in the MCU, you're going to really have to see what Disney Plus is bringing to the table. And it might not even be a full-blown series. Like, hey, we got a series coming up with, you know, Letty Wright. Let's just say Letty Wright's character. Mm-hmm. You know, they do a the Disney Plus series with her character, which I would be all for. You know, oh, hey, you got to appear in an episode. Like, I don't think he would be out of the... 
it'd be out of the realm of possibility for him to do that. Maybe it's a time thing. He doesn't want to be tied up for so long doing, you know, a TV show when he could be off doing movies and doing all this other stuff. Yeah, which which I think that that's probably the case. Yeah. Which I'm sure that if they were going to involve um, the Black Panther into a Disney Plus show, mm-hmm. they would work around that schedule if he was yeah. already signed up for it. I, yeah. can't, I can't see them holding up and, and saying, no, we wouldn't work, be able to work around that. Oh, yeah. I think that's foolish. I just think that it's going to be now almost a requirement for anybody coming on to say, hey, you're going to be required to do Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. It's going to be part of if they sign you for a six-picture deal, mm-hmm. well, one of those pictures might be kind of included to do Disney Plus right. to enhance the story. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Like I said, it was just kind of a uh, interview that we heard that we're kind of like, well, I don't necessarily know how this is going to fly, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Because you've had characters from the movies come on TV shows. Like, let's not forget episode two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. One. Or was it was episode it, one? It was episode one? one. I can't remember. It was I want to say it was either in like the last five minutes. Or oh, like it was the, the last five minutes. The last five minutes. Yeah, it was Samuel L. Jackson show. Yeah, that. like that was the one that like I remember that show going and I was like the young, ignorant fan I was going, what are the odds that Nick Fury is going to show up on the show? And you're like, oh, there's no chance. You're like, you were telling there's no chance. He, there's no way they'd pay him that much money. Yada, yada, yada. He go, you go maybe some point down the road, but he'll never show up. Five minutes before the end of the episode. Oh, hey, there's Nick Fury. Yeah, no, I was remember seeing it and just like, wow. But Samuel L. Jackson is very pro doing anything and everything for the MCU. Yeah. So for this one, when everything was supposed to be connected, obviously it's a different story nowadays. Yeah. Obviously him coming on the show was a huge deal and was supposed to be the gateway for getting more of the MCU stars to make an appearance, cameo, mm-hmm. so to speak, because if everything's connected, it should be connected. <laughs> we should have had more appearances than just Sam Jackson. Yeah, which I know we had Lady Sif appear at yeah, one point. Yeah, a couple had, episodes. We, we had some of the other lesser names of the MCU make an appearance. Yeah. But for what we were expecting didn't happen. But now under Kevin Feige ruling over everything, mm-hmm. I can fully see this is going to be a requirement. If he is now publicly said, these shows are going to be must watch for your movies. Mm-hmm. Then I think if anybody's signing up now, you're going to have to be a part of the Disney plus family. Yeah. So to speak for maybe an episode or two, I can't, sure. see, I can't see a full, full blown show, but right. I think in some cases, yeah, you're going to definitely have to do it. Yeah. Because especially with all the movie actors now going on to do the shows. Mm-hmm. What does that say? I think that that's just proven the benchmark that you might have to do this to make it happen. Yeah. And to flip the coin on it, to look at what DC would be doing about this. They. This Sunday night, there was a ton. It was, it was weird. A ton of social media reaction for hashtag release the Snyder cut. It was real weird. I like I was sitting at home watching, you know, some uh, late Sunday football and I opened Twitter and there's Gal Gadot hashtag release the Snyder cut. And I'm like, wait, my first reaction was, wait, was she hacked? Yeah. And I saw Ben Affleck did the same thing. Yeah. And then Jason Momoa. And then it just kind of spiraled out from there that I'm watching Watchmen. And I'm going, wait, what the heck is going on? No, yeah. I like I thought they were hacked because I want to say it was like the day or two prior uh, the company 2K Games, which makes the NBA series and Borderlands and a whole bunch of other games, all of their social media stuff got hacked and like really vulgar stuff started getting posted. I'm like, all right, did somebody hack into all these actors' Twitter accounts? Like, what's going on here? You almost had to wonder, and where I'm tying this in with the streaming service about movie stars going to stream, mm-hmm. the big talk that I was getting from this is would the Snyder Cut be released? To HBO Max. Possibly. I mean, as a way to entice people to sign up for it, because let's be honest, 
there is a very vocal portion of fans, and I don't even want to call them a minority because I don't know how large this group is. There is a very vocal portion of fans that really want to see the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Now, for why don't you explain for those who may not know what in the world the Zack Snyder cut is? It is the original version of the Justice League movie that he was going to come out with. And unfortunately, he had to leave the project due to a family tragedy. And Joss Whedon took over the project to finish up the filming. And if I'm, if memory serves, like the film was essentially done. Like they just had to do a couple pickup shots, some reshoots, and like there really wasn't much. They had to do some work, but obviously it wasn't the full Zack Snyder version, which right. obviously if you're a director, you want to see your version get out there. And due to the reaction of Justice League at the box office, a lot of fans were mad mm-hmm. that the Justice League movie that we've all been expecting wasn't the real version. Mm -hmm. So now there's been long rumored that there is a Snyder cut of justice league. Yeah. And I, and I know that the gestation or whatever it have, you know, how much it's done has kind of floated around for a few years. At first it was, Oh, it's not done. It'd take a lot of money to do. They'd never be able to do it to, you know, the, the Charlie XCX or whoever it is that worked on the soundtrack saying, no, my soundtrack's done. Like the film's essentially done. And, and actors and other people come out going, no, the film's done. No, it's become the thing of folklore. Like, yeah. Yeah. Does, does it exist? It's almost like the E.T. version of the Atari game. Yeah, so we don't know, but obviously there's a lot of smoke to that fire that it does exist. And, and story goes, you like you said, Gal Gadot tweeted about it. I know Jason Momoa has been very uh, uh, vocal about it. Ben Affleck tweeted about it. Uh, I know some of the other stars from the movie tweeted about it. Story is, and don't take this as, you know, God-proven fact, story is, is that Zack Snyder's trying to get his friends and co-stars and whatnot to really get the push to get this out. Why? I don't know, because they'd never release it in theaters. They were expecting a big old boatload of money from Justice League to come in, and they didn't get it, so why would we put it out again? The only thing that I could come up with, and I I, I understand if this is the case, is Snyder doesn't want to go out on a bad note for what he he brought to the DCU. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that right now with the DCU, whatever you wanted to find is Worlds of DC, is it Elseworlds, is it all standalone, whatever the next phase is going to be for the DC Comics movies franchises, that you can't take away from what Snyder built when he took over Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. And he did Batman vs. Superman. And you yeah. can, there's, it's a strong opinionated film. Justice League is the same boat. But whatever is going to happen, he did lay down the groundwork. You can't take that away from yeah. him. Yeah. No, yeah. And if he wants to see his version released, and if he's saying it's a better movie, I can understand that point. Mm-hmm. And what I think they should do, and I was seeing a lot, I think Kevin Smith actually tweeted out the same thing, put it on HBO Max. Sure. You, if, if this group that wants to see this movie so bad, would be willing to go pay a movie ticket for $15. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would not pick up a streaming service for $15 for the first month and see it? No, they would. I mean, it, it, you can almost equate it to the folks that want to see the original theatrical cut of the first Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. where they're very vocal, they're very loud. I mean, the thing for me is I liked Man of Steel. I, you know, the theatrical cut of Batman vs. Superman was bad. The extended cut made it a little bit better. It was a little bit more enjoyable, but it was still not great. I can't imagine because Justice League was like, what, two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. You know, the supposed Zack Snyder cut, if if the rumors are to be believed, the supposed Zack Snyder cut clocks out at like three hours or something absurd like that. 
you know, to me, it doesn't matter. And, and please don't get angry if any of you are, you know, Zack Snyder cut fans want to see it. This is just my opinion. This is just how I feel about it. You can put a fresh painted coat on a turd. It's still a turd. You know, you can make it longer, but it, it, at the core, it's not going to change, you know, how I, how a person feels about it. You know, it's like the saying goes, it's very hard to recover from a first impression. And my first impression of that movie was not good. And it, like short of redoing the entire movie, which let's be honest, they're never going to do that. You can, to me, you can't improve that movie no matter how long you make it or what changes you make to it. For me, I am at this position. I loved Man of Steel. Thought it was great. I was even okay with what Superman did was odd. It was like, okay, this is going to be how this universe is going to be. Okay. Hated Batman versus Superman. I loved Batman uh, or Batman as Ben Affleck or vice versa rather. Batfleck. Yeah. Had no issue with that. Gail Godot yeah. killed oh, it. Oh, she crushed it. Killed it as Wonder Woman. I just did not like it that you tried mashing up The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. And the death of Superman in the same movie because you can't do it. It's two iconic stories. It's too much. I I almost want to compare this to the first Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. I'd compare it to the uh, series of unfortunate events film that they did with Jim Carrey where they put three books into like an hour and 45 minute film. Right. Like you just can't do it. Like I get it's a kid's book, but same thing here. You can't take two of DC's most iconic storylines and mash them into a movie. Like no. No, it's just it's too many elements in one book. And like I say, if they split it up and did maybe one other version of it, sure, okay, I, I get it. But it was just too much. Well, and, 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 and especially, I would have been okay with it if maybe they just did Dark Knight Returns but left out the Superman stuff. Because for me, I think one of the things I kind of struggled with was as young and, and infant as that universe was at that point, to me, it did make sense for them to be facing Darkseid then. It's almost like if you had like Captain America and Thor show up in one of their movies, you know, whether it be Thor one or, or Cap one or whatever, and they showed up and they're instantly fighting Thanos, like wouldn't make any sense for me. And I know I said this, you know, this was before the show. I know I said this to a couple of friends. It would make far. It would have made far more sense for them instead of fighting Doomsday to fight Lex Luthor, because having yeah. because having though, because if I remember the comic right. Fighting Doomsday in the Death of Superman comic took literally every hero in the DC universe to fight. Mm-hmm. And and you had just the three of them. So at the very start of their careers, it would have made a lot more sense for them to come together and stop Luthor. Like I said, there there's so much that they, they tried doing differently and borrowing too much. Like I said... There's a lot of the Dark Knight Returns elements that are, mm-hmm. that are in this. I mean, and we're talking more than just the logo. Yeah, there is so much involved in that, mm-hmm. and then to mix in the death of Superman, and then how they created Doomsday is hey. a whole other ball of wax. I don't even want to get into. The final thing about that is there is a lot of stuff they could have done a lot better in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you love the film, great. I'm not saying you shouldn't. My opinion, I I borderline hated it. You know, I, I, I got to admit, you know, I I hate I didn't like the original theatrical cut of Batman Superman. The extended cut made it. The extended a, cut was better. The extended cut made it better, but it's still not great. I I will admit I haven't watched that film since it came out on Blu-ray and I bought it and watched it because everyone I, you know, I kind of waited a couple days and everyone saying, oh, give the extended cut a watch. The extended cut's better than theatrical cut. I haven't watched it since that day. Right. I haven't watched it in a, in a long time. I will say, though, I thought it was better. Yeah. But was I like, okay, the game has now changed. Oh, yeah. No. No. No, I, no, I, I can't say that with, with, with all honesty. And with Justice League, 
Obviously, whatever Snyder had to leave with, and it is an unfortunate reason he had to step down. Wheaton came in and tried doing what he could. But that's the problem you have with that film is it's two different visions. They're not going to match up. No, I'm sorry. It's not going to match up. And it showed in the film. Mm -hmm. So if they want to release the Snyder cut, I'm okay with it. But the problem is you're not going to see it released in theaters. No. Because... It's for financial reasons is my only guess I would say. That's my guess too. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm saying, okay, put it on the streaming service because if there is this many people that are screaming and clamoring to see this film for whatever reason, and if you just want to be a DC fan, if you think because it's you know one of life's greatest mysteries, whatever you want to see this for, if you're willing to pay for the streaming service to see this, by all means, put it out. And if it's this big of a success and you can track down all the streams for this and it equates to a big budget blockbuster film. Oh, I, I guarantee you, if in the hypotheticals, if they do end up putting this that Zack Snyder cut of Justice League out on the streaming service and it ends up getting sh- massive numbers of how many people have watched it and however long a time's period you want to you know measure or track, it will get known. Like that is something that will not be hidden and kind of like left to the, like the rumors. And what I say they do after that is, okay, if your films are going in this other direction, because we already know that next up for the DC film universe that mm-hmm. we know of, Birds of Prey, yep. Shazam 2, mm-hmm. the Batman trilogy. Black Adam is in there someplace too, yeah. Yep, Black Adam is in the mix. Suicide Squad. Yep. The ball is rolling for whatever the next phase is. Wonder Woman 84 too. Yep. The ball is rolling in a different direction. I am going to say this. If this Snyder Cut... It's HBO Max. Sets record-setting numbers. Uh-huh. X, Y, and Z. Wouldn't it be smart for Warner Brothers and the people behind HBO Max to say, all right, Zack Snyder, you want to keep telling your your DC universe? Put it on here. Yeah. And you know what? First one up to bat, guarantee you, Joe Manganiello. Oh, he'd, yeah, he'd do put it. Put a Deathstroke series on HBO you, Max. You, you, want to put a, you want to put butts in the proverbial seats? You do that because I know as bad as some of those movies were and as much as we didn't enjoy them, you, I know you and I both freaked out when he showed up on Hell screen. yeah. Deathstroke? <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm a big Deathstroke mark. He's my all-time favorite DC villain. If you put Manganiello, though, and he wants to do it. Well, he's down for it. Put him on the streaming service and watch that take off and have Zyder, Snyder be a producer. Mm-hmm. And then if you build up your hype that people are screaming, this is my DC. This is who I want to see. This is what I want to see. Then you know what? Then maybe you bring it back to the theaters. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But if not, hello, HBO Max. You're seeing what Marvel's doing with the MCU. Yeah. To have your movie stars come down and go on HBO Max. Yeah. You really want to make a statement? Try it that way. That's my challenge to you. But let us know what you think. We gave you a lot to digest there. We kind of did a little you know, off-the-topic you know, discussion, but we definitely want to get some impact from you. Hit us up on the hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about movie stars going to Disney Plus and carrying on the MCU through there? Are you for it? Are you against it? And why? And obviously, what is your take on release the Snyder Cut? For it? Against it? Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is George Gatton, and you are listening to the Ocho Duro Harley Hour Entertainment Edition.
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, kick us off with those one shots, shall you? Sure, got a couple of things. Uh, first of which, shocking the hell out of me. Uh, we got uh, news a couple of days ago, uh, yesterday actually, that the Lord of the Rings Amazon series has already been renewed for season two. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, my jaw about hit, you know, the center of the earth on this one because while, yes, I am very excited for this series, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. I've read the books, played a bunch of the games, and seen the movies more times than I'd care to count. You know, I'm in with as big a budget as has been talked about about this show getting possibly the biggest budget in television history. We've not seen anything about this sh- this show. You know, the only thing I think we've seen is them kind of confirming when it's going to take place by showing a map like you would see in the if you go out and buy a copy of Lord of the Rings. Mm. Like that's literally all we've seen. We've not seen set photos or cast photos or a trailer or teaser trailer, like a, a teaser to the teaser trailer. We've seen nothing. Yeah. And they're already renewing this thing for season two. Like I'm normally excited for this stuff kind of stuff right before the show comes out. Because I know like Witcher's getting ready to come out on Netflix. I think it's ne- uh, next month. You know so right before the show comes up, I'm like, all right, great. They really like the show. That means it's testing well. It's doing well. You know, it's going to be really good. This, to me, is mind-blowing because we've seen nothing from this. And, oh, hey, it's so good. We're going to renew it before you see anything. Yeah, this is a very interesting move to see done. I mean, it's a lot of faith in a show mm-hmm. that you don't know how the fans yeah. are going to react because it's a whole different ball of wax. This, mm-hmm. isn't, this, isn't, this is going to be uncharted water, so... Definitely interested to see how this all plays out. Yeah. Uh, other thing, Ken, let me ask you this. Is there anything that you would like to see a sequel to that you will that for that you probably think will never get a sequel? Video game, comic, movie, anything? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Uh, Justice League 2. <laughs> good good tie-in. Uh, f- video game fans the other day got one of those things because there is a very well-known video game series by the name of Half-Life which I will admit I've never played it before, but I I know of the darn thing. Uh, The last Half-Life game came out way back in 2007, so it's been 12 years since Half-Life fans have had anything to go with that franchise. Now, stuff has been in development and canceled and whatnot, and it's kind of like the one thing that, you know, there's I know there's a a comic uh, somebody did a number of years ago where it was, you know, they they go to announce Half-Life 3. Yeah, right, it's April Fool's. No, yeah, right, we don't believe it. And he goes, oh, all right, let's cancel it then. It's kind of been that one thing that for a lot of years, if they ever announced a Half-Life 3, nobody would believe it because it's been so long and so long rumored that a Half-Life 3 game is coming that nobody would believe it. But lo and behold, the folks over at Valve decided to drop one of the biggest you know, surprises on the entire internet uh, yesterday where they tweeted out on their official Twitter account, we're excited to unveil Half-Life Alex." Uh, that's A-L-Y-X, uh, our flagship VR game this Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Can't wait to share it with all of you, close quote. So dropping one of the biggest you know surprises that I think the Internet's ever seen, because like I said, it's one of those video game franchises that people love and people adore and have held in very high esteem and respect that a lot of people wanted a third one and thought they would never get and may not be an official Half-Life 3, but hey, it's a sequel. It's something. I yeah. mean, it kind of took me a little while to process because, I mean, you're right. Half-Life has been mentioned for years. Yeah. It's almost like the Snyder cut. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things that, you know, at the Video Game Awards, they have, a couple of years they've teased, oh, hey, there's going to be big surprise announcements and stuff that nobody will ever see coming. 
and people always go half-life and it doesn't happen people get a you know people get their hopes up every time the video game awards come around because that's when a lot of games you know not before you know kind of before e3 and all that they're like hey we're gonna announce stuff people go oh, half-life and then, and then they're a little disappointed yeah understandably so but if it comes out i mean in any way shape or form i just hope it's for fans of this franchise that it's not like batman arkham knight Mm-hmm. Or Arkham Origins, rather. Yeah, that people are have are so clamoring for something. Then when it doesn't hit, even though I thought it was a good game, mm-hmm. that people are not like, ah, oh, it's a letdown. I mean, I I enjoyed uh, Batman Arkham Origins. Did not get to finish it because when I was playing through it, my game glitched out on me, and mm. I was fighting Firefly. I think it was on the bridge sequence, and went to walk through a door, and the only thing on my uh, screen was Batman. Everything else was black, and I could not recover my game, and was very many hours deep into it, and didn't feel like starting over. Uh, that's always a rough feeling. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask you, being the video game guy in the room, yeah, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. What's your thoughts? Uh, really excited for it. I've been hearing great things about it. Haven't had a chance to play through it yet because I've been I got a couple of other things that I got for my birthday that I want to get to before that but the more and more I hear about it the more and more I'm excited about it uh, apparently it was confirmed I think at some point in that game that Starkiller Base and this is for Star Wars fans that Starkiller Base was in fact the planet Ilum where the Jedi got their crystals from back in the Republic days when they were making their lightsabers so and the, the, you want to know the scary thing about this that I didn't realize that the other till the other day uh, the main character in the game is the same gentleman who played Joker in the uh, Gotham TV show. Interesting. It's that, it's that redheaded guy. I was like, oh, my God, it's him. But, no, I definitely want to check this out. It, you know, it's it's kind of rare these days for EA to put out a Star Wars game that doesn't suck and vehemently hate it across the Internet. So yeah. I, I definitely got to check it out. Yeah, definitely got a lot of hype behind it. Shout out Tom at Off the Cuff Gaming. Uh, he's a friend of the show. He's been doing some live streaming of the game. So definitely go over, check out Off the Cuff Gaming and hit them up and get the reviews. I mean, there's been a lot of podcasts covering it too. So definitely I'm hearing a lot of mix, but I definitely know with you being the Star Wars aficionado of mm-hmm. the ODPH, that if this game is worth picking up. Oh yeah, I'd say yeah. If, if you were, because let's be honest, it's the first single player Star Wars video game in about a decade. Okay. That the last single player, and I'm not counting the Battlefront 2 campaign because or anything mobile because that was, had the Battlefront 2 has multiplayer tied in. The strictly story related game it's the first one since lucas arts made star wars the force unleashed 2 way back in like 2009 2010 that's huge it's, it's been a long time and then and i can't wait to get it and, and play through it and do i even want to ask about pokemon sword and shield uh i heard great things i unfortunately don't own a switch but i i've heard it's a lot of fun from folks and but i have heard that i guess this one is a little more easier than others so people are having a little bit of a hard time making it well i should say they're having a bit of fun making it challenging for themselves but i've heard it's good fair enough uh for me i don't have a lot for one shots unfortunately i'm a little tied up with my other work but i will say this if you've been watching watchmen Probably the best episode they've had thus far. Okay, I will say without question. I the only thing that I'm going to say, and I'm going, I'm not going to spoil this. If you want to have a conversation about this on OD Parlay Hour, hit me up on Twitter. I'll definitely deep dive in a little bit more. The, the one thing I was fearing about the show, I'm almost going to sense they're doing. They are tying in too many similarities to the original Alan Moore comic. Okay, that I don't want to say it's not feeling original. But it's borrowing a little too much for me. Sure. That I still like it, though. And like I said, this week's episode was probably the closest that we've had to what I thought the show should have been. 
but you'll see in a couple of like different areas throughout the episode it's almost like deja vu okay and i and i and i was like all right i see where they're going okay so like i said you know i was going to be a very harsh critic about this show oh yeah yeah and i know alan moore has been very vocal lately yeah. of, about uh you know the superhero genre so and he, obviously i can kind of understand his point of view on this so to say though the episode was bad no definitely not saying that like i said it was great but I think for being almost like certain elements were just too deja vu. And I, I can't stress that enough because I don't want to spoil. Right. But you did get a lot of answers to a lot of characters that you wanted and definitely set up a little more for further down the road because I think mm-hmm. there's only a few more seasons or episodes left. So that being said, HBO, Watchmen, definitely go check it out. A lot of CW returns this week, so yes. we're going to be covering that on next week's episode. And at the local comic book shops, it is a big, big week as always. And dare I say, Marvel has another strong week coming out. A little more Absolute Carnage okay. is coming out. Marauders 2 and Excalibur 2 Ooh. are coming out. All right. So that's going to be something worth picking up. Plus, I know they're dipping back into the 2099 series. Yeah. Which I will admit, I, I'm, I'm actually intrigued by this. For being somebody that's read a lot of the 2099, a lot of it was, for its time, innovative. Sure. A lot of it was like, ah, okay, we're now really forcing an issue here. Uh, so to see them rehash it, obviously, it, this is going to be something for nostalgia reasons I think I'm going to pick up and, and mm-hmm. check out. But I'm definitely going to go hit my local comic book shop up, definitely go pop down and see Justin at Song Around, or definitely check out the Cheers to Comics podcast. Brian, what up? He's definitely giving you the Wednesday pull list as well. And there's so many other great podcasts out there, too, that are covering comics right now. Keep up the good work, everybody. Because that is all we got for this week. So the music you heard on this episode is at a shout at the robots. There are friends of all the Hashtag 607 podcasts. You can find out more about them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com under the music section. You can also head over to the Hashtag 607 podcast section as well. Find about Three Fat Nerds, 8122 Productions. Do you know they're on Patreon? You should, and you should be investing because they have a lot of content coming out under that Patreon banner. It is going to be something to see as they wind down the year. They always have a great show, so you definitely want to go check them out. And definitely don't miss out on Horizon 607 as well. Photography by Mike Blakesley. And definitely check out Parlay Points, the complimentary blog section to the ODPH podcast. Brian just dropped a review for Undiscovered Nation, the okay. new Charles Soule and um, Scott Snyder book that just came out. So that is going to be worth picking up as well, too, because those two creators get on a book. I'm sorry. That is going to be a fun book to read. Knowing their track record? How can you go wrong with that, Pat? How? Uh, you can't at all. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, I know they got a lot of different ways they're going to be going with that. And where they decide to lead that story is anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. And I am very excited to see it. And it's Undiscovered Country. I think I said Undiscovered Nation. So uh, I, I think it did, yeah. Yes, it is Undiscovered Country. But either way, hit to your local comic book shop. Go pick it up. It is going to be definitely worth the while to read. Yeah. And everything else that you want to find out about the ODPH, head over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Join in the conversation on our social media links because we definitely like to interact with you in between episodes. So let's keep up that tradition, shall we? And check out PodChaser.com for the alternate reality radio list and our friends over at PodNation because we're on both lists as well. For Padawan J. Goodbye, and I have spoken. <laughs> I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parley Hour podcast. We'll see you next time. Uh-huh.